Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life, books and champagne, brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, Dog-Eared Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay, we're ready. And books are sexy. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Ellen. How are you today? Good, because I'm popping bubbles. Sweet. I will watch you pop bubbles, and then I will partake in the bubbles. We're opening... Amar. Probably not pronouncing that right. It's a natural sparkling wine from Barcelona. Shit. We'll see what we think of this Spanish. As you know, I've been really listening to songs that um, harken back to our youth. Yes, and making a lot of people happy with it. There is a jewel song called Barcelona that is really good. Can you sing it? Barcelona. Where the wind blows something. I would have to look up the lyrics. Yeah. But it's good. There we go. It's officially Bubbles and Books time, I'm guys. Google it right now. All right, you do that. This smells amazing. I got I was close. Barcelona, where the winds all blew. The churches don't have windows, but the graveyards do. Ooh. Oh, jewel. Oh, tortured poet you society. Lyricist. God damn. Oh, department. Sorry. She's Ugh. a member of the po- t- tortured poets department. You were meant for me. Classic. Foolish games. Ugh. Break my heart. Jewel was a moment in our lives. Jewel was a moment. Isn't Jewel dating Kevin Costner? Didn't we just talk That's about that? That's the word on the street. We did talk about that. And we looked up her age, which made us feel good. She's 49, and we're like, oh, she's older than us. But then you look up Kevin Costner, and you're like, holy shit, 20-year difference. But you know what, though? I feel like they're a vibe. Because she dates, like, cowboy-type dudes. Yeah. He's... She was married to, like, a rodeo star for a yeah, while. That's right. And he was on, like, Dancing with the Stars or something. I don't even remember. But he was, like, on some reality show. Well, as I tell my kids, the older you get, the, the less, diff- like, the less it matters about age yeah. difference. I'm I'm happy for you, Jewel. And I'm happy for you, Kevin. And I hope you put out a really good album based on your romance with Kevin. I think about age differences when I talk to Bailey, who I think it, she's one of our booksellers, frequent podcast guests. Um I always think of her as like my peer, you know, like you're one of my friends. You know, we're basically the same age. And then I found out what her birthday was and I realized she could have been my oopsie baby in high school when I started dating my my now husband. That's how young she is. I could have given birth to her. Oops. It's a little it's a little weird to talk about, I guess. But But you're right. I mean, I have friends that are like more than a decade older or younger than me. Yeah, it just all blends. So we won't judge you, Jewel. We don't judge you, Jewel. I would never judge you, Jewel. You like, man, there were there were many nights in my tortured emo teenage years when I listened to your CDs, Jewel, and yeah. I found solace. Yeah. So thank you. So speaking of Bailey, she's the one who came up with the brilliant idea for this podcast, our Valentine's Day podcast. Yeah, because I was I was working with her and Katie last weekend and I was like oh I'm gonna try to you know come up with some ideas for the podcast it's gonna be the week of Valentine's Day do you have any ideas because I feel like you know usually do like romance stuff right and Bailey was like books that will break your heart (laughs) bingo yeah because 
it's it is really not an uncommon th- request for people to ask us like to find them books that will make them cry. Yeah, and it's so, complicated. Right. And there's like a lot we're going to talk about. So we uh, that is the theme of today's podcast, books that will make you cry. But first we have to talk about what we're reading. Oh, right. Thanks and for also, reminding me. And um, also Rachel says that part of good podcasting is introducing ourselves. So I'm Ellen. Mm-hmm. I love Jewel. And you are? Amanda. And I love the Dixie Chicks. Oh, they're called the Chicks. Samesies. Yeah. They were called the Dixie Chicks. Yeah, because we're they talking, figured things referring out. to the 90s at yeah. that time. And we're still kind of stuck there in our brains. Well, God, we, well, we are. So, Ellen, what are you reading, Jewel Lover? <laughs> I'm reading two <laughs> books. <laughs> um, again, because I'm lazy, I am reading The Hunter, which is like, uh, you know, I have the hard copy book. Mm-hmm. And it was in my backpack, which was in the kitchen. And I was in the living room. And I wanted to go to bed. And if you've been in my house, it's like a weird split-level 70s house. And there's, like, stairs everywhere. So I could go up one flight of stairs to go to my bedroom. Right. Or I could go down one flight of stairs, up one flight of stairs to get the kitchen, down, back up, back up again to get to the bedroom. And I decided to take the short way, and that's where my Kindle was. So I decided to read a digital reading copy rather than grab my hard copy book. So I'm reading two books. The first book is The Hunter, which I am still reading. Um, this is a honker. It's like 500 pages. It's Tana French. Um, I'm in the second half of the book now. It's really, really good. As I told you before, um, the protagonist is Cal Hooper. He's a retired American cop. That's right. And he has a young protege. Yep. Trey there. Things are going well. Her dad who you know, who ran off, um, before Cal was ever in the picture comes back. He's a ne'er do well. He's bringing this rich guy with him and they have this scam that they're bringing to the town where they're telling people there's gold on the land and, um, a murder, it, a murder happens. I'm not going to like spoil anything because the crime in this book actually happens very late in the book, more than halfway through the book. Wow. Okay. So you, you have to wait a long time to get to the murder mystery part of the book. It's mm-hmm. very much like character development. So right. I would say if you, if you go into this with the mindset of this is going to be like a fast paced, like thriller type of mystery, or you're going to compare it to Tana French's Dublin murder squads is not yeah. what you're going to get. It's very good. Yeah. But it's a di- totally different pace. But anyway, so Cal has to be like, you know, be a detective again. And he's also trying, like Trey, his his young protege, is caught up in this. You know, her dad is involved. And he's very concerned about like, hey, I'm just getting you on the right track. You're 15 years old. How can I protect you? And what to what lengths will I have to go to right. in order to do that? So that's one book. And then the book I'm reading because I'm lazy um, the digital arc is Anita DeMonte laughs last and I love it so much I read it all day yesterday so you have talked about it on the podcast because right. you've read it Rachel has read it so to to briefly summarize because we've talked about it before there are two timelines one is 1985 one is 1998 1985 is Anita DeMonte she is a Cuban refugee um, who grew up in Iowa Largely in foster care, moved to New York. Don't you love the Iowa name drop? Yes. Um, She is an artist, and she is married to a very famous 
um, artist and they have a volatile relationship. And what we know, you know, the very beginning of the book is that she dies in 1985. We, we learn the circumstances of it eventually, but sh- she dies when she's at the cusp of making yes. it very big in her career. And then the other story, which runs quite parallel, is uh, in 1998 is Raquel Toro, and she is an art history student at Brown University. She's there on academic scholarship. She's from Brooklyn, and she is um, studying under uh, a professor whose focus and passion is the work of Anita DeMonte's husband. Right. And so Raquel is going to be writing her thesis on him. And so where I think these stories merge is she's going to stumble upon the work of Anita DeMonte, who had a very different artistic style than her husband, who was a minimalist. But their lives are par- parallel in kind of different ways, too, because um, Anita, you know, was married to a white man who had a lot of success. Um, and she was viewed a lot of in a lot of ways as sort of like riding his coattails. Right. And, um, Raquel is, well, she's not really an artist herself. I mean, she is kind of, but she's studying art history. She's dating, uh, you know, a rich white guy mm-hmm. who is deemed as being sort of like, you know, a prodigy of sorts, right. he's very up and coming. He's like the star of the art program. Right. And, um, she is one of only two people of color in her whole department. And she is definitely being viewed as sort of using him to get ahead. Right. And unlike Anita DeMonte, who is no pushover, uh, Raquel is pretty meek. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm interested to see where it goes. But the writing is so fun. And I really loved Olga Dies Dreaming by Sochil Gonzalez, this author. This one is better. Yeah, it's really awesome. And one of the parts that I like most about it is there is an element of supernatural there is and it's fun yeah it's really fun and um it's just it's really gratifying when you're done and it just moves at a a fun pace pace, and like olga dies dreaming the characters particularly anita is and anita is actually the only character whose parts are told in the first person um is she's got some snark to her like she is she may have been wrong but she got the last laugh (laughs) she gets the last laugh like you just don't fuck with her you know what i mean yep and um so it's just fun she's got this like cast of really strong and interesting characters and it's also a conversation about men with delicate egos and how they utilize women to prop themselves up well it's also a lot of there's a lot of commentary there on like race Mm -hmm. privilege class like the art world yep there's a whole lot happening and and like and who has access to those things right like who gets to make decisions about what is good art and what is not i mean these men jack anita's husband and nick raquel's boyfriend i mean there's i mean there's at one point you know one characters questioning like well if he didn't come from this family would anyone give a shit about his artwork right like it's good but would anyone think it was that good if he didn't have the connections that he had and so anyway it's so good what are you reading the one that i'm most caught up in right now is the latecomer by jean hannah Correlates. I've read it a couple years ago. I liked it. Right. And I missed out on it, but I was interested because it is a 
family epic. This is a new term I learned. It's um, totally your crack. Right. It's it is. Jam. Complicated family relationships, where I will say that it has diverged a little bit, or my favorites are ones where family really comes through. Family never fails. You have complications, but the love is true. So in this case, it's a story about the Oppenheimer family in New York, not Oppenheimer the bomb dropper, but also Jewish New York uh, Oppenheimer, um, Oppenheimers. Um, and the head of the family is a man named Salo, who was traumatized by a moment in college that um, really caused him to doubt um, and fail to create connection with other people. Um, however, he is married to Johanna, a mild pleaser who sees it as her life work to validate his existence, to love him um, and support him regardless of his failings. They end up with a set of triplets um, that, uh, that come about from in vitro fertilization. And um, it is about the three children, um, let's see, Lewin, Harrison, and Sally, who their mother is determined to create this sense of family un unity and loyalty and love for one another and tradition. And um, they, from the moment they're born, want nothing to do with each other. <laughs> and so I relate very much to that because I came from a family in which our connection and love for one another is one of the central forces of my life. And so I desperately want that for my own four daughters. And I, I question, just as Johanna has, am I, am I pushing it too hard? Will they eventually find that loyalty to one another? Um, but as the children grow and as the family struggles with a father who is disconnected invested in his own world in which he's obsessed with modern art. Um, the mother, you know, so desperate to connect everyone back together and these three children who want nothing to do with each other, you see the way in which it's a complete failure. Johanna reflects and realizes, I tried so hard, but I failed. Um, and so, you know, 18, 19 years later, when the kids are entering college, she recalls in a moment of desperation that there is one embryo left in the cryobank <laughs> and maybe that's her chance to redefine her life. And that's the moment I'm at right now. The kids are off at college, each figuring out their own identity out from under the weight of their family. And I mean, if I remember correctly too, like Salo is like kind of a shit husband. Yeah. And she's sort of also, this is sort of like an ultimatum she gives him too. She's like, I have made my whole life about caring for you motherfuckers. Yeah. And if you want me to stick around, you're going to give me this thing. You you are going to let me have this baby. Right. Right. Like, you can do whatever you want. You can be all, the, the asshole you want to be, but you're going to let me have this baby. And what I enjoy a little bit about this scenario is, one, the kids are going off to college around the same time we did. Um, They were born in like 81, 82, which is my birth year. Um, and they're in college in the 2000s. And so it very much takes me back. Of course, these kids are at Cornell, um, a little bit different world than my college experience. But it's very much the trajectory of my own life. And my younger sister was born eight and a half years after me, not 18 years, 
but we had a late comer too in a family <laughs> that, you know, had a moment of implosion much later. So there's a lot, of, there's a lot to reflect on. This was a book that my brother-in-law, Jeff loved. You had, uh, recommended to me. And so I'm really enjoying it. Um, so that's what I'm reading. Awesome. Okay. So back to books that will break your heart. As we said earlier, one of the most common requests we get from customers looking for a book is they want something that will make them cry. Like they'll say, I want something to make that makes me sad or makes me cry, which I think is like a little bit fucked up, but it's not uncommon at all. So we're going to talk about some go-to titles that we recommend to people when they want to feel like they've been run, run over by a truck. All right. Okay. I'll give you the first one. So these were put together yeah. by Bailey and Katie because they they were there when we were having this conversation. It was Bailey's idea and they sort of put this little list together. Okay? Mm-hmm. So um, the first one is Bailey's take. Yeah. She offers a Babel by R.F. Kuang, which I read, uh, which many people on staff have read. She says that this book is made up of beautiful, tender moments and found family, which makes the heartbreak hurt so much. Like, it's just really intense because this is family that someone was, fine, you know, finally arrived at. Robin, the main character, is adopted from Canton after his family dies of illness, and he's spirited away by a famous Oxford for professor in translation and in this world translation is power the meaning lost in translation between two words manifests magic um robin is forced to confront the structures of power and oppression that have consolidated a massive amount of power in the british empire and through this comes to know himself in entirely new ways the book breaks your heart in so many places where people's actions and relationships are dictated and destroyed by the influence and uh the influence of power yes it's a very heartbreaking book yeah all right, the next book, one I also read, but this is Bailey's take, is The Vaster Wilds by Lauren Groff. The Vaster Wilds follows a young servant girl as she escapes a colonial settlement and flees through, the, flees through the woods in hopes of finding a new way to live. At once an adventure story and incredibly introspective, this book breaks your heart with the raw experience of human perseverance and the desire for survival. This book made me cry and also left me staring at a wall for an extended period of time contemplating my existence. That was Bailey's. Would you echo the contemplation of existence yes. from your experience? It fucked it fucked with you. Oh, it for sure fucked with me. Yes. Yes. And I would say like this is this is what I appreciate about this book is it's not uh it doesn't back off from the difficulty of like the subject matter. You know, it just goes there. Like, here's this person running away from an awful situation, and she's in the middle of fucking nowhere, and she has to survive. Wow. Intense. All right. The next one is in the vein of a man called Uwe and Remarkably Bright Creatures. They and, offered up the brilliant- this is Katie. Katie recommends The Brilliant Life of Eudora Honeyset, read by many people on staff and well-loved by Annie Lyons. Meet Eudora. She's an elderly woman in the late stages of her life who is no longer able to do the things that once brought her joy and purpose. And she's completely alone in the world without any family or friends. She's absolutely sure she does not want to spend the last days of her life in a hospital 
well past the time she's ready to go at the mercy of strangers. So she makes an appointment at a clinic in Switzerland with the hopes of being accepted so she can die in her own timeline. At the same time she's going through the process of being accepted into the clinic, a new family moves in next door and 10-year-old Rose quickly introduces herself. Rose is spunky, precocious, self-proclaimed fashion guru who decides that Eudora is going to be her new best friend. This is a sweet and charming read with a great cast of characters that give emotional depth to this story that will in turn make you laugh and cry. So, you know, like I said, Ove... A man called Uve, similar storyline, you know, it's heartbreaking. A person alone in the world who's given up and someone brings them hope. The next is Pack Up the Moon by Kristen Higgins. This is also a Katie recommendation, and this is what Katie wrote. Lauren and Josh have the kind of epic love, all caps, that most people aspire to. They have plans for adventure and travel and eventually children and family. Shortly after they marry, Lauren starts showing symptoms that concern her. And when she returns from their honeymoon, she makes an appointment with her doctor where she discovers she has a terminal illness. She's determined to make the most of the time they have together and fills the time she has left with Josh with memories and love. To help her husband through the grieving process, Lauren writes letters for him to read after she passes. Joshua receives one letter a month from her with a task to help him heal. Through Lauren's perspective, you can experience how she deals with the reality of dying as she goes through her own grieving process as she faces a life cut too short. At the same time, we experience Josh's perspective as he deals with his loss and grief. This was not an easy book to read. To say it was emotional is an understatement, but I've never felt more grateful for both the romantic and the platonic love surrounding me. I started crying at the 7% mark and continued to cry frequently throughout. There were moments when I was ugly crying and others when I was crying tears of joy. While this book obviously does not end in a happily ever after, it does provide closure and the reminder that life will go on. So this reminds me of two other books. Um, A Walk to Remember. Holy shit. Yeah, Nicholas Sparks. Yeah, and The Time Traveler's Wife. Yep. uh, Katie told me when she read this book, she had to keep telling her husband that she loved him. Yes. (laughs) Like over and over again. And then she'd be like, no, you don't understand. I really love you. I know. I'm going to let you take the next one, too, because this is a book that you introduced to staff, and not only did it fuck with you, it fucked with Bailey. Yeah, so this is Bailey's take on it. Prophet Song by Paul Lynch, which we have talked about on here quite recently. Did she? This start is pretty strong. This is what she wrote. Screaming, crying, and throwing up. Did she really throw up? I don't know. (laughs) That's intense. Screaming, crying, and throwing up. This book is a visceral examination of what it means to cling to a disappearing reality in the face of state violence and oppression. In a near future Ireland, people's rights are suspended in a national emergency. Ailish's husband has been detained for being a union organizer, and she is just trying to keep her family together and wait out the unrest. Paul Lynch entwines the massively catastrophic but silent movements of a state falling into fascism with the utter consumption of the mundane and the maintenance of a life that is falling apart before your eyes. This this book hurts you slowly and then all at once. The frustration of a mother attempting to do what she believes is best to protect her children, but being unable to imagine this new world in which the laws of autonomy and morality that she previously inhabited no longer apply. I have never been so tense and so despondent. All our best efforts can be made futile by powers out of our control. Okay, next up. Okay, I, I'll do this one too because I wrote the blurb for it. Oh, you did? Well, I'll echo. You this is echo the fuck. Yeah, I'll echo it. This is the book I give to people when they tell me they want to cry. It's the answer. 
It's a Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. Yeah. Okay. I made the mistake of being in the middle of reading this book when I went into labor with Holden. So it's the book I like brought along with me to the hospital. That's so fucked up. Fuck? So I will always correlate this beautiful moment, happy moment in my life with this book. Jesus Christ. Um, so you can talk a little bit about the plot, but this is what I'll say about this book. Um, this is what I tell people. To sum it up, it will kick you when you're down. Yeah. And the person that it's kicking. Um, sorry, I have to look up his name. Jude. It's about, it's like a group of friends, four friends that meet in college and they move to New York together and it follows them throughout the decades. But in particular, Jude, Jude, who is kicked from youth through teenage years, what could go wrong in a young man's life does go wrong. And the ways in which he suffers, um, trigger warning, their self-harm. Um, the ways in which he suffers through every stage of life in every way life fails him. It is a life of punishment and it is awful. And the cover art was done incredibly well because it says everything like life has punished me. I'm in pain. And what more is there to say? The writing's extraordinary. The storytelling is wonderful, but damn, I mean, that book will just like leave you sobbing in a corner going, what the fuck? Yeah, it just, it will kill all optimism. Okay, so as we were, as I was thinking about this, like, why do people ask for this type of punishment? Um, There's some psychology to it. So I did a little research. Teach me, teacher Ellen. Okay. So there are a number of reasons why we seek sad media. So we I the- don't. And I, I told you this, <laughs> like, I think it might say yeah, something about my do. emotional development. So okay. tell me what I'm missing. Well, a lot of people do. Like they okay. want they want to watch like sad movies mm-hmm. or sad television or listen to sad music like Jewel. Where the crawdads <laughs> sing. Yes, whatever. Um, so one of the reasons is that uh, actually this is the most like established reason through research is that they help us experience meta emotions, which means that we think about the emotions we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so they allow us to be in tune with what we're feeling. So, for example, if I'm, like, reading a book and there's this really awful scene, like maybe somebody dies or something, and it elicits a big emotional response from me, it allows me to think about, Ellen, why are you having that emotional response? What in your life, what in your experience is making you feel the way that you're feeling? I had I'm this. I'm not just yeah. responding to the characters. There's something in my own experience that is eliciting that response, right? Because I'm making some sort of connection. So it allows us to examine why we're feeling the way we're feeling. So it's a way for us through that sort of buffer of fiction, I guess, to um explore maybe it's therapy it's therapy um another interesting study that was published in the journal of psychology of aesthetics creativity and the arts found that um sad media allows us to feel sadness without stress Hmm. which is sort of interesting because so what it did is it took like 60 people All of them were like young adults and it showed them clips from sad movies, clips from sad documentaries, and then um, had them recollect sad experiences in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. And all of these things, they rated their levels of sadness that they were experiencing and their levels of anxiety. 
they were sharing similar uh, equivalent levels of sadness for all of those things, whether it was a fictional, Mm -hmm. you know, movie and their own sad experience, equivalent level of sadness. Right. Very different levels of anxiety. Hmm. They were not experiencing anxiety when watching movies, but they were experiencing anxiety when recalling their own personal experience. So what this means is that you can consume this sad media, you can feel all the feels, but you can do it without stress. Unless you're having the meta connection where Perhaps, you're reflecting yeah. on your own your own insecurities. Perhaps. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I felt anxiety and sadness while reading Same As It Ever Was by Claire Lombardo because it was making me reflect on my feelings as a mother. Right. I mean, and then I think, you know, the other things that we just sort of intuitively know, right, it helps us feel connected. We're right. not alone in the world. Right. And then we want to feel alive, damn it. Yeah. I want to feel Feel, something. feel. Oh, yeah, I'm human. That's Rachel, why we have, have pens feelings. like Didn't feelings. You know? Feelings. Didn't you know I'm not a robot? She has deep, deep feelings. So that's all I know. Do you have any thoughts about why people want to make themselves sad? It's kind of like, you know, we were talking about horror whatever, last week or the week before, mm-hmm. I don't go to scary movies. I don't, I, I don't, I don't, go, I don't go to haunted houses. I'm not going to pay someone to make me piss my pants. Like, no, thank you. That's stupid. I think but some people like, they, they, they're like, yes, yeah, scare me. I think that there are, I always say like teenagers love angsty romance. And I really think this connects with that desire to feel. They haven't they haven't been broken yet, if they're lucky. Many young adults, college kids, high school kids haven't had life shit on them yet. And they're they they want to feel the feelings. They want to something they haven't experienced yet. It's kind of like a, you know, like a drug high or something. You know, they want something beyond their own experiences. They and that's an intense feeling, that angsty sadness. And so that would be my reflection on why young people seek out sad, heartbreaking books because they haven't actually had their hearts broken yet. Mm. Although, you know, when I got dumped the first time, I was mm. like really listening mm-hmm. to Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Which I guess we become desensitized, those those heartbreaks that are big as a middle school student or a high school student kind of like starts to toughen up that heart, makes yeah. it a little little bit more uh, resilient so that in adulthood <laughs> you're like, oh shit, I got a parking ticket. Oh, well. <laughs> but when I was a high school kid, I would have been like, oh no, my parents are going to kill me. I'm going to cry for an hour. Oh, I have my. a hard heart. <laughs> you have a hard heart. Yeah, I don't need to give it any more exercise with these sad books and movies. Like, life is done it for me. Okay. Fair. All right. Let's talk about what's popping this week on the shelves. All right. Tell us about the first book. The Book of Love by Kelly Link. Okay, she's made a huge uh, name for herself. She's a Pulitzer Prize winning um, short story writer. She has um, a really well-loved collection called White Cat, Black Dog, 
local author Rachel Nance McKinney loves it. Um, our bookseller Mariah loves it. And this is her first novel, and it is a fatty. Like, it is... It's like 600 pages. Yeah. So we have a lot of folks on staff who are excited about it. Um, it takes place in the fictional New England coastal town of Love Send. So, like, perfect for February. I think the publishers knew what they were doing. Book of Love in Love Send. Love's End. Um for February. It centers on three teenagers, Laura, Daniel, and Mo, who disappeared nearly a year ago and are presumed dead. And then one night the teens find themselves alive, question mark, again, along with a much older ghost in a high school classroom brought back by their high school music teacher, Mr. Annabin, and his supernatural sidekick, Bogomil. So he is giving them a series of magical tasks to complete. And in the end, two can remain and two will return to death. As they perform their tasks, they may return to their families and their lives, but can tell no one where they've been or what they've been up to till now. And as each teen works through the assigned tasks, we get to know their inner struggles, family dynamics, sexual identity, how they fit in in a small town, and we root for them to succeed. But things will get complicated. Their resurrection has not gone unnoticed by the supernatural creatures of the world. So this is kind of, this is a genre blending book. Weird shit's happening. Where are we going to shelve this in the store? I don't know, but I'm like very interested in Mr. Annabin. Like, whoa, laying low, Mr. Music Teacher. And how the fuck did you get to know Bogomil, whoever that is? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. <clears throat> the next one is The Warm Hands of Ghosts, which is a great title by Catherine Arden, who's written a lot of books, but she's best known for her trilogy. The first one's called The Bear and the Nightingale. And her newest has been highly anticipated. And you know how we talked about Wars and Nurses last week right. with uh, Kristen Hanna, The Women? This is another War and Nurses book, okay. but it's very different, okay? Okay. It's World War One, first of all, 1918, Belgium. And the story is told in an alternating timeline and perspective. The first is Laura's. She's a field nurse. She's a very talented nurse. And she's wounded, discharged, sent back home to Canada. And then she rece receives word that her brother, Freddie, who's still fighting in Belgium, is missing and presumed dead. Mm -hmm. And she's convinced he's still alive. Okay. Like, she just thinks it's sketch. And she returns to Belgium, volunteering at a civilian hospital, and she searches for him. The other timeline is Freddy's, and it starts like a few months prior to Laura's when she figures out that he's missing. Mm -hmm. And it's, he wakes up in a German pillbox, which is kind of like a dugout, like bunker okay. in the trenches. And it's he's like buried in it. It's, you know, caved in. And he's trapped in there with a German soldier. Okay. And <clears throat> they kind of form an alliance and a bond with one another, but they're enemies, right? And they But they get out. And... Having been through this experience together, they cannot stand the idea of retor returning to the battlefield and, like, facing each other in battle. Right. And so um, they, go they take refuge at a hotel who's run by this very uh, mysterious man, and he's got this ability to uh, take away their pain for his own gain. He's got magical abilities. Ooh. Um, and he's preying on these people. Laura hears word of this, and she suspects that maybe Freddie has fallen victim. So the story is, will she be able to save Freddie in time? Okay. 
Mariah loved this book. This is what she wrote. Mariah, I stole your Edelweiss review. Ooh, nice. You're so talented. Quote, Catherine Arden is back with a deeply felt atmospheric imagining of grief, ghosts, and stubbornness amidst the carnage of World War I, blending reality and fiction. Arden uses her trademark style of beautiful storybook-esque prose and a whisper of fantasy to make an accounting not only of the brutality of war, but also the humanity to be found in the margins, the slivers of silver linings, marvelous, haunting, and moving. I read this in an afternoon for fans of Addie LaRue, Naomi Novik. Excellent. Well, with that, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. Okay. Should we, like, do a little fade out of Jewel? You should put in some Jewel music when you're done. You have to sing it. I have to sing it, and we can't play it in the background? No. Because copyright laws and shit? All right. What's a good Jewel song? You were meant for me, and I was meant for you. You know that song, Amanda, right? Yeah, I do. Keep going. I hear the clock. It's 6 a.m. I feel so far from where I've been. I got my eggs and my pancakes, too. Got my maple syrup. Everything but you. It's beautiful. <laughs> Very appropriate for Dreams a Valentine's. for so long, even after you're gone. I know. Rachel loves me, and soon she will see. You were meant for me, and I was meant for you. Thank you, thank you. Remember, uh, subscribe, like, follow, because you want to find out what's happening in dog-eared books every single week. Yep, and if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books. Follow us at at dog-eared books Ames or at dog-eared books on TikTok. All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the books going. This is so great! It's so great! <laughs>